0: Um, we are in a series right now on the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Beatitudes, these proclamations of wonderful news as far as what life in Jesus is like. Um, and we've been going through and uh, taking them one at a time. And for this week, we're really excited that Riker is going to be able to come up and speak once again. Uh, he spoke this last fall, and everybody just really raved about it. It was awesome just to hear just the encouragement that he was. And he's a Moody student, senior. Uh, who's going to be graduating in a couple weeks, and we wanted to make sure that he could get up and speak one more time before he left. just awesome to see. I love seeing the uh, young men and women wanting to serve the Lord um, in these special ways, and so we're really excited that as in the manner that God is growing him and using him, that he can use him here this morning. And so let's welcome Riker as he comes up to preach.
1: Good morning, everybody. It's so, so good to be with you today who doesn't love a good old underdog story, right? There's something that's deeply satisfying when the tables are suddenly turned, from facing the Giants to Kung Fu Panda to maybe even Monday Night Basketball. It's always satisfying when the little guy ends up winning. And I think the second best underdog story of all time is the Karate Kid. It's a classic. Now, for those of you who don't know what wax on, wax off means, that's fair. Uh, Spoiler alert up ahead. I won't say too much, but if you really, really want to see it, but you haven't yet, feel free to plug your ears until you see the poster go away. But even if you've seen this movie and love it, here's a quick refresher for all of us. It's the final match of the karate championship. And on the one side is Daniel this lanky kid from New Jersey who just moved into town, who's coached and learned karate from Mr. Miyagi, this guy who is the handyman in the apartment building that Daniel lives in, who has some pretty unorthodox teaching methods for the art of karate. On the other hand is Johnny, this strong prodigy student from the local dojo, Cobra Kai and they're facing off. In the semifinals, Daniel's knee got injured because another member of Cobra Kai purposefully disqualified himself so that he could do an illegal hit on Daniel's knee, and even though he wouldn't win the whole tournament, he injured Daniel, making it more likely for someone from Cobra Kai to win. And it's the final match. Daniel can barely stand on his one leg, and during a timeout, Johnny's sensei pulls him aside and tells him to play dirty and to hit the knee that was already injured, which he does. And when we, when we see that, we cringe. Stories like this one confront us with a key question. Will those who don't play by the rules win the game? It seems like those who cheat the system have an upper hand. Because they're not limited by playing by the rules, but instead they have freedom to do whatever they want. But what does Jesus have to say about this question? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. But before we go any farther, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning, Lord, this community. What a gift it is to... uh, journey together. Lord, as um, my brothers and sisters here, we, we walk through our lives. Uh, Lord, sometimes it, it feels overwhelming, this world. It seems like underdogs uh, don't have a chance, and so I pray that you would speak to us now through your word. Uh, would you uh, bring clarity and light? Lord, I pray that you would speak through me and not in spite of me. Uh, may you get all of the glory. We love you because you loved us first, and I pray that we would never, ever forget that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, like Bobby mentioned, ever since Easter, we've been going through this series called The Pursuit of Happiness, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. So, this right here is kind of sermonception, right? Because I'm preaching a sermon on another sermon. And the Sermon on the Mount, it starts with the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus does something brilliant. Jesus is redefining expectations. On the one hand, he's redefining Greek expectations, right the culture that was around him. He's also redefining the Jewish expectations of what the Messiah would look like, what the truly blessed life is. And he's even redefining American expectations too. Now, as Bobby has mentioned time and time again, the Beatitudes are proclamations of wonderful news, which is so good and so important. These are pronouncements, not directly imperatives. Jesus doesn't say to us, be poor in spirit to earn my blessing, even though sometimes we read them that way. Instead, he's subverting the world's values and inviting us into this abundant Life that only he can provide for us. The audience of the Beatitudes is really important too. If we looked earlier at Matthew 5 verses 1 and 2, we see that Jesus calls aside his disciples and he's speaking to them. But the crowds are also around too, listening in. And so these words are for both disciples and potential disciples. That means That no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, Jesus' words are for you. And so, we're gonna be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, if you wanna turn there. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 5. It's short but sweet. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, Maybe you're like me when you hear that. At first, you nod your head and say, yeah, meekness is good. But then you whisper to your neighbor, I have no idea what meekness means. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's fair, right? That makes a lot of sense because meekness is a very complex word. To, to prove that, the, the Gospel of Matthew uses the Greek word for meekness three times. And the ESV translates it a different way each and every time. It's, it's hard. There's not a perfect equivalent in English to describe meekness. Right? There's layers to it. So what does it mean to be meek? Well, if you look at the world's view of meekness, the world says that meekness equals weakness. You'll hear things like, it's a dog-eat-dog world. The nice guys finish last it's good to try to be uh, faithful and and be a moral person, but at the end of the day, it's those who push ahead of everyone else that wins the race. You won't hear meekness as the topic of a TED Talk, and you definitely won't see it posted on a political yard sign. What about Merriam-Webster? What does the dictionary have to say about meekness? They give three definitions. Number one, enduring injury with patience and without resentment. Number two, deficient in spirit and courage. Or number three, not violent or strong. So you see there's some mixed messages there. Some of those are positive, some of them are negative. It's, It's a confusing word. Another picture of meekness we see, you might recognize actually, out at the Art Institute of Chicago, there's this painting right here called Meekness by Eustache Lesseur. So does that mean that meekness is about petting lambs, I guess? <laughs> it's like a spiral that we're traveling on right now. and The further we're going, the closer and closer we're getting to what meekness actually means. Something that can really help us as we try to understand meekness is understanding that Jesus here is directly quoting from Psalm 37. If you look at Psalm 37, starting in verse 8, it says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. That passage right there is really helpful because we can look at the surrounding context and start to fill out our understanding of meekness. We see here that meekness involves restraining anger and waiting on the Lord. But if we truly want to understand meekness, the one place we need to look is Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate picture of meekness. Like I said, the word meekness is used in Matthew's gospel three times. First, in the Beatitudes, but the second is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. This is probably a pretty familiar verse for a lot of us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That word right there, gentle, is the same word used for meekness. And so in this, Jesus is saying, I am gentle, I am meek. So if we want to understand what meekness is, he's the one who defines it. He's the one that we can look to as the perfect example. The third use of meekness in the Gospels comes in Matthew 21, during the triumphal entry. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Humble right there is that same word. And we get this paradoxical picture in this, with the triumphal entry. As Jesus is entering into Jerusalem before the crucifixion, he doesn't demand a tank or a limo or even a stallion. Instead, we see the king on a donkey. It subverts our expectations. But probably the most vivid picture of meekness we get is Jesus on the cross the cross was a punishment, a torture device, reserved for the worst of sinners, the worst of criminals. And there Jesus hung, the one who had done nothing wrong, bearing the sins of the world. And, and while he hung there, he heard things like this. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now, from the cross, and we will believe him. These words are so, so ironic, because Jesus could have done that. He could have proven all the naysayers wrong. The creator of the periodic table was hanging there on just eight-inch nails. He could have easily come down, and yet he doesn't. He bears it. This is the ultimate picture Of self restraint. Now, the voice behind the words, blessed are the meek, says just as much as the words themselves. It's important that it's Jesus saying these things, not just some other voice, because he can speak with authority. In Jesus, the blesser is the blessing. The blesser is the blessing. Jesus isn't like Santa who gives gifts, but at a distance, without any relational connection between us. Instead, he offers himself to us. Jesus redefines the meek as blessed. Now, you and I, we can't be perfectly meek. We can try as hard as we want to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps, but we can't do it by ourselves. The good news, though, is that Jesus was perfectly meek, and he offers himself to us. And those of us who believe in him are being transformed into the image of Christ each and every day. And so because of that, these beatitudes become not a hurdle for us to get over before we find salvation, but they are an invitation to this abundant life that only Jesus can provide. So what does it mean to be meek? We see that it involves humility, gentleness, self-restraint, not seeking revenge, ground yielding when our honor is attacked. Or in other words, meekness isn't tailgating that car that just cut you off. I know that one strikes close to home for some of us. It's power under control. It's not necessarily giving up, throwing in the towel, but instead it's trusting in God, that he ultimately is the one who will vindicate us. How about you? Do you relate to this? If you are meek, then know that it's not in vain. What the world scoffs at and writes off, Jesus pronounces blessed. But notice the second half of the verse, too. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now that right there is counterintuitive. Tyrants and terrorists, bullies and mob bosses seem to rule the world, which makes sense, right? Don't you need to step on others to get on top? Sometimes it can just feel like the darkness is choking out the light. But good news, my brothers and sisters, the light is stronger than the dark. There's never been a time where you flipped on a light switch where the dark beat the light. The meek shall overcome, not by being stronger than the wicked, but by God's strength. But notice that last word in this verse. We'd expect it to say, they shall inherit heaven. But it doesn't. It says, they shall inherit the earth. And Bonhoeffer wrestles through this in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He says, leave heaven to them, says the world and its pity. That is where they belong. But Jesus says, they shall inherit the earth. Those who now possess it by violence and injustice shall lose it. And those who here have utterly renounced it, who were meek to the point of the cross, shall rule the new earth. Heaven and earth, those are themes that are woven all throughout the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And the Bible Project has a video on that, on heaven and earth. And we're just going to check out the first clip, but I want you to pay attention and see what is similar to what we might expect and what is counterintuitive for us. So let's check this out.
2: So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains, but my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but... This idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again.
1: Just a tiny little bit of the video. I'd highly recommend that you watch the rest of it because they go on to trace this theme all throughout the Bible. But how does the story end? Does it end by us sitting on a cloud, strumming Chris Tomlin songs on our harps? That's a, that's a common way that we think about heaven, right? This empty cloud space. But that's a common myth, and there's two main problems with that view. First off, it's bland. No offense to Chris Tomlin, of course, but eternity is a really long time to do nothing. And also, number two, it assumes that God gives up on the world. He just tosses it. But instead, God is making all things new, even the earth. We see that at the end of the story in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So sorry to all you surfers out there. (laughs) It's hard for us to wrap our minds around a redeemed earth. That's at the edge of our understanding. But what a beautiful thing it is. To use a metaphor that Paul uses when comparing our physical bodies to our resurrected bodies, think about it this way. The earth right now is like a seed, in comparison to the plant that will come from it when God redeems the earth. And in in the same way, it's hard for us to see what the plant would look like when we're just looking at that tiny seed, but we see that there's continuity there. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is fully realized in the future, but it's partially present, even right now. Because right now, God, the kingdom of God is breaking through, inaugurated by Jesus. Right, He already started the kingdom of heaven. And so, while we have future hope that this will be fully true, we can even see little bits of it now. In this one verse, there are lots and lots of implications. Firstly, we see that we can't bless ourselves. Only God can do that. What good news that is, that it isn't up to only us to make ourselves meek, but instead, for those of us who follow Jesus, who believe in him, the Holy Spirit is within us, transforming us from the inside out, day by day. Jesus invites us into a life of true satisfaction. He would know because he's the one who created us. Also, we see that meekness is strength. From the classroom to the courtroom, from the workplace to social media, what does it look like for us to be meek in those spaces? We might not see the fruit of it now on this side of eternity, but we have hope that all of our meekness is seen by God and it will be fulfilled in the end. And lastly, we see that heaven isn't just cloud land. If you want to look into that more, again, I'd highly recommend that you check out the rest of that heaven and earth video by Bible Project or also look at Revelation 21 and 22. We can't know a lot of things about what the new heavens and the new earth will be like But there's some things that we can know. We know that it'll be embodied, right? We won't just be little floating spirits because Jesus is embodied even now after his resurrection. We know that it'll be creative. God is still a creator God, which means that there will be beauty and complexity, more than we could ever ask or imagine. And also we know that it will be uniting. We will finally be back in the presence of our Lord and Savior face to face. And we'll be united fully with one another as well. How does that change the way that we interact with the world? Because the story of the Christian faith isn't like Wally, right? It's not about us getting into this big ship and then floating away from the earth. No, the earth plays an important part in God's story of redemption. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth that right there is the best underdog story that's ever been told let's pray jesus i thank you that you offer us abundant life how good and how sweet that is and lord i pray that as we Go today, Lord, as we continue in this series on the Beatitudes, would they shape us and form us? Lord, I thank you uh, that one day we will be reunited with you in the new heavens and the new earth. Help us to live in that reality even now. God, we love you because you loved us first. Please, please, please don't let us forget that. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Riker. Hey, let's thank Riker for sharing with us. I mean, it's all praise to God, and I know Riker would agree with that, but it's encouraging. Uh, It's good to be encouraged, and so we really appreciate him, uh, the work that he put into this, and being able to share this morning. Uh, We're going to close